Hey, wonderful to have you here. Um, can I, um, um, I, I, I begged the indulgence of the first service. I'm going to beg your indulgence today. Can I leverage uh, or, or kind of use my, my pastoral influence this morning to, to ask for prayer? <laughs> Darlene and I leave for England uh, later on uh, this evening uh, for, for two weeks. And of course, if you know anything about me, planes and I do not get along. Um, so, uh, if you if you could if you could pray for, pray, pray pray for me because as a pastor I don't want to indulge in other vices to kind of get through the trip if you know what I mean, okay? So I would much prefer prayer at, at this particular point in time. Um, so anyway, um, I'm just I'm, I'm leveraging my, my 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 pastoral position. I forgive me for that, but uh, we're looking forward to seeing our older son and uh, just having a great time in England for the next two weeks. But uh, I, would, I would really appreciate that. And yes, for all of you that will comment to me going out the door that I shouldn't be afraid because I'm a pastor, I am afraid, thanks. Um, you know, because if the plane goes down, I, I, I find other ways far more enjoyable to die than that one. Okay, so can we just get that conversation out of the way? All right, thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, but we're... Um, we're um, talking about ripples, and, and we're talking about the things that happen today, how they affect the rest of our lives, that, that there are things that, that, that we can do today that will radiate for the rest of our lives, and, and how do those things affect us? And last week, we talked about a young girl who was a slave, and, and, and yet she wished the very best for her master, for the people that had enslaved her, and the difference it made in their lives, and we never heard about what it did for her as an individual, and that, you know, um, our, our uh, theme verse for this entire passage is kind of what we're re- relating to, and, and we've said this for the last three weeks, here's the fourth week, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, that's a great life verse if you wanted to ever do that because there are so many times in our lives we just want to quit. And, and we've said this, you know, for the last three weeks. You're going to hear it for the next two weeks after, you know, as, as Matt continues the series because it is so difficult for us to keep doing the right thing, the good thing, because I, like, as I've said, it's usually the most difficult thing and it's the thing that often creates the most conflict in your life. And it's, it's the one thing also where you're fully trusting God. Where you say to God, God, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the good thing. I'm going to do what, what you, you need me to do. What you desire for me to do. And there's a whole lot of tensions attached to that. And we totally understand that. But God will bless you. God will work it out. You know, that's, that's the promise here. And it might not happen in, a, in, in the time frame that you're looking for. But God always has a much bigger picture than the one that we're looking at right here, right now. So that's a very important perspective to take. And, and we're talking about, and what we're talking about today is, is another one of those ripple uh, moments. How many of us have known people who at one time or another in their lives had incredible faith? And, and where are they today? You know, they've walked away from the church. They've walked away from faith. You know, how many, how many of us realize that, you know, what is true individually is also true corporately? You know, how many universities, how many, how many institutions started as places of the gospel, as purveyors of the gospel? Um, you know, somebody, you know, Hayden, thanks for that, Hayden. Hayden reminded me that our own Huron College here in London, 
in UWO, right? What Huron College has uh, right inside the, uh, you know, the doors is, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Right? Yeah. Surprise, right? That's what they've got. And, and not only that, but they've got it in Greek, which makes it even more powerful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on vaca- I'm in vacation mode, so I'm a bit chippy this morning, okay? <laughs> but, but, you know, how many times we, you know, institutions and, you know, Harvard, Princeton, you know, like the, the list goes on and on and on, these institutions. And, and, and what about nations? What about whole nations, whole people groups who at one time committed themselves to the gospel, co- committed themselves to a faith in God? And where are they today? And, and why is it that we have this drift? What is it that happens in the spiritual drift? We've all experienced it. And, and you, know, I've, you know, I've said, you know, don't raise your hand, but have you ever had those moments where you said, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, right? If, if, if the right circumstances in your life happened, how many times have you doubted and you said, you know, do I need to believe? Is it really going to matter? All those kinds of things. And, and the questions can come in and the doubts can come in. And this whole thing of spiritual drift is very real because we've all experienced it on so many Level. So we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to talk about it in, 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 from a story that I just really find bizarre in the Old Testament. Really bizarre. And I'm, and I'm surprised it doesn't get more traction uh, than it does. Because it's a story that is shocking when you really dig down and look at it. Um, we're talking about King Josiah in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 22. And Josiah is a good king. And he, he came, uh, I think eight years old was when he came to, to power as, as the king of, of Israel. And he decides, I think at age 26, to restore the temple. The temple has become, uh, you know, it, it needs to be repaired. It needs to be restored. He's investing the money. And he, and he calls his court secretary, a man by the name of Shaphan, to take the money to, the, to Hilkiah, the high priest, and to start restoring the temple. And to start getting the temple back to what, you know, the, back to the glory days, in other words. So here's, here's where, the, where we're going to pick up the story um, in Second Kings. And uh, I think it's very interesting what we're going to learn from the story. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, who had taken the money to the temple to help get it restored. I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Now, I don't know about you, but that should shock you. I have found the book of the law in the temple of God. Where? Yeah. Not only that, what have they been doing all these years? Right? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it shock you if you come to this church for like 10 years and you've heard people, you know, myself, Matt, you know, who, who, whoever. And then 10 years later, I come up to you and say, guess what? I found a Bible. And we're going to start actually using it. Because what you've gotten before this is just ritual. Uh, you know, we're just going through the motions. Uh, kind of figured out that it's, we need to talk about good things. But here it is. Uh, the temple of God where the sacrifices continue... You know, all the, the festivals and the feasts and everything that the temple represents. And yet, they've lost the book 
of the law. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, by the way, your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors of the temple. So the, the process of restoration that you ordered is in the works. No problem. But guess what? Shaphan also told the king this. Hilkiah the high priest has given me a scroll. Oh, really? So Shaphan read it to the king. You got to imagine this court secretary with this scroll standing in front of the king of Israel reading the scroll. Now, most scholars believe that this is the book of Deuteronomy. All right? This is, this is what they believe is, is, is the, the core book of the law. And the book of Deuteronomy, if you know anything about your, about your Bibles, is the book of Romans for the Old Testament. It is the one that talks the most about the love of God. It is the one that puts the stipulations about how you live in covenant with God. It has the, you know, the blessings for obedience. That if you follow these laws, if you operate under these principles, if you do good to your neighbor, all that kind of stuff, that you will be blessed. But if you deny these things, if, you dis, if you're disobedient to me, then, then judgment will come. I'll, I'll have to discipline you. That's part of the agreement. That's part of the covenant. When you sign on the dotted line, this is the agreement we come to as part of the covenant. So this is a big, big deal. And not only that, but in Deuteronomy 17, before Israel even had a king, Moses laid out the stipulations for what a king has to do. And part of it was the king, under the guide of the Levitical priests, would write out by hand the book of the law himself. So he would know the word of God inside out. So as he governs, he governs from the standpoint of the law of God. But here is a nation that is built by God that was brought into existence to be the example of God to the world. That, you know, Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, Moses, you know, Exodus, you, you name it. They had every privilege that God could possibly put into a nation. And here they are going through the motions and they lost the book of the law. Guess what we found? Wow. How does that happen? How does that happen? What, what, what would happen in, in a nation to cause spiritual drift to the most religious nation on the planet? What would happen? Let's continue reading and we'll unpack this a little bit more. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and Isaiah the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that have been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything he says he must, we must do. The king immediately recognized that they've been going against the law of God, the Deuteronomic stipulations, that they've just been going through the motions, that their hearts are very far from God. It's just a ritualistic exercise. And they have lost the sense of what it means to be in fellowship with God 
the creator. That's, that's, that's the first, you know, context thing that's really important. Why, why the king would be so distraught to the point of repentance over what he had experienced. Imagine if we had that kind of repentance when we came face to face with the law of God. Imagine. Imagine. What's really interesting about this story too, and I just, if you know anything about Josiah, came to become king at a very young age. His father was Ammon, who was an evil, evil king. He was so bad that his own servants killed him after two years. He was a horrible, horrible man. But to make matters worse, it wasn't just Josiah's father that was bad, but Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. If you know anything about Manasseh, the Bible calls him the most wicked man on the planet. He desecrated everything in the nation of Israel, to the, the, the temple, you name it. So he was the one that subverted the entire law of God and started it. He's the one that would sacrifice children to other gods. He was an absolute evil man. He was so bad that he derailed everything about the nation of Israel and its covenantal relationship with God. He even repented in prison and it didn't do nothing to help the situation in Israel because the entire nation had slid so far it couldn't get back up again. This poor Josiah, a man who wanted to do good even though he came from a really bad heritage and lineage. That's important context. And I love, you know, I love this picture of repentance that happens in this, in this particular chapter because that's what happens when we come face to face with God and face to face with who we are. And I've often, I've often said that this, this, this void of understanding, when it, when, it becomes, when it becomes connected by the amazing God that we serve and who we are in light of him, something happens inside of us. Something should happen inside of us that, that, that causes us to bow our knee to raise our hearts, to lift our voices, and to, you know, to cry out to God. We recognize who you are in light of who I am. And to think that you would care for me at all. You know, if you've never come to that place in your life, that's, that's, that's a, such an important place to come to. And, and, I, and as I've said at the communion table, you know, this remembrance of Christ you know, causes us from being ignorant, causes us from being intolerant. Because it forces us to be like Josiah in the state of repentance, in recognizing who we are in light of who God is. You know, it's absolutely amazing. So what, what, you know, what, what is it? How many, you know, how many of us Okay, how many of us know how easy it is if we miss church once, miss church twice, miss church three times, miss church, isn't it easy to drift? How many of us, I don't want to go to life group tonight, you know, 
skip life group now. Skip life. How many of us? And you know what? Are these important in your life? Okay, I'm, I, I, I don't want to get into a guilt thing at all. My thing is, it's so easy to get into spiritual drift. It's so easy. And you know, I have enough casualties in my own life of friends and, and family who at one time were you know, on like a firecracker, you know, but you know what happens to a firecracker? It, you know, big light and then it's out again, right? You know, they flame out in no time at all. Spiritual drift is such an important... And here we have the most religious people on the planet and they lost the book of the law. Man, that's a scary passage. That's a scary reality. But it happens to each and every one of us. Or the potential inside of us is so easy to happen. Here's, here's a few um, what I call... Uh, things that could lead us toward mission drift. Now, this list is really long. If you, if you want to get into this, there's, there's a book, I think, by Peter Greer called Mission Drift. It's a really good book, um, you know, because it's really sad when churches get into mission drift, isn't it? You know, churches that stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? You know, I said in the first service, there are a lot of good things that we do at Village Green, you know, baseball team. We get together and have food and eat. We get together and day camp. Like, all this stuff is really good stuff. But do you realize that all of that stuff a social club could do? The heart of what we're about is the gospel. The heart of what we do is the person, work, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Everything else emanates from that the minute we forget what first things are first or what the core is all about then change seriously i'll move on put a different sign on the building and all that stuff and just be a social club right because that's anybody can do that (sighs) okay here's here's the perils of mission drift okay number one is lost in my religion Right? This, is, this is Israel's uh, huge failures. You can be so involved in your faith. You can be so involved in your religion. You can be so involved in doing you know, the, the ritualistic thing, the festival, the feast things, that you lose the heart of, heart of God. You know? For how many years would, would the Israelites have done the sacrifices, done the temple readings? Done, no, they couldn't even do the temple readings. They lost the scroll. Right? That, you know, do whatever activity... Right? And how many of us, how many of us, how many of us have gotten so busy with our faith that we no longer pray or we no longer read the Bible and no longer hear? You know, if you, like, you know how many people tell me they hate reading? You know, you know, your iPhone will read it to you? There's lots of moments in your day where you can just put your iPhone on and it'll read it to you. Amazing, right? Okay, so there's, there's lots of things that we can do. But we can get so lost in doing the things of religion that we lose totally the heart of God, right? And, and listen, that is a huge danger for a guy like me because I'm academically involved in this. And I tell you, it scares me to death because I can get so involved in the academics of the Bible that I can, there, there have been times that I've been stone cold to the word of God. 
because I'd been so academic with it for so long that I had to kind of go, wait a minute, you know, wait, wait a minute. And I've had to take, you know, those days and just restore myself to God because I can get so academic. It's, it's a danger. And you can be so in the word and, and, and still be stone cold to it. Okay? Uh, here's the second thing. The siren song of culture. And of course, this is a whole, this is a 20-part sermon series, right? Okay? Um, the siren song of culture. You know, and I've joked many, many times. When you, when you are growing up, there are, for most of us, I didn't come to faith till my mid-20s. So growing up, there were two major influences in my life. The culture around me and the people around me. Okay, my family and, and, and how they raised me and then the culture around me. Those were the only two tensions I had in my life. All right? And then I remember in my mid-20s, the Bible came along. And all of a sudden, the Bible was a huge tension to the people that were around me and the culture that was around me. Right? That's, that's just what happens. And if, you, if, if, if you've come to faith at an older time, you, you get that. You, you, you get that. Okay? And, and that's what happens. You have this huge culture clash right and 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 it, we experience all over you know everything from sexuality to economy to you name it the the bible often st- stands in stark contrast to everything that's going around all right and and how do you how do you wrestle with those things how do you involve yourself in the people that you care for but at the same time hold true to some values okay because you're going to get called names you're going to get called all kinds of things right but, but as, as I said, that is a, a, whole, a whole different thing. But, you know, how, how much cultural accommodation do we, do we accept? Right? Okay, uh, number three. Functional atheism is another one. Functional atheism is where you believe, you know, you say, you, you know, you'll check the dotted line, the, you know, on the checkbox and say, I'm a Christian. But anybody looking at your life on the outside would say, uh, I, I, I would never have guessed you were a Christian because everything you do acts like you don't believe at all. Okay? There's, you know, and, and that's, again, that's a, that's a problem. You know, there's, there's a lot of subversive, there are a lot of 007s for God, if I could say it that way. You would never know they were a spy for the other side. Okay, I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, holiday chippiness, I guess. Okay, um, this last one is called Death by Minnows. Okay, St- I love this. I, I do. Stephen, Stephen Haas of uh, World Vision has said, getting eaten by a whale... Or nibbled to death by minnows results in the exact same thing. <laughs> right? Um, one demise is a lot easier to recognize than the other. Okay? You know? And is it, you know, isn't that true? It often takes a whole lot of little decisions and a little bit of, you know, cultural comment or whatever until you get to a point that you've lost all kinds of fidelity to what you believe right so it doesn't matter you can get swallowed up whole by one whale or you can get nibbled to death by a lot of minnows the death is still the same you know and um 
you know, I, I joked at the first service, I, I used to work as a purchasing agent and I used to take all these courses on negotiating, okay, how you can negotiate with people to get what you want and what you need for your company and, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember being a, in, a, in, a, in a sales uh, class and, and somebody had mentioned the, the salami sales routine. You've heard the salami sales routine where you just bite off a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. You could never sell the whole package because it would just overwhelm the person you're trying to sell. So you just chop it up into little, little, little pieces until eventually they've got the whole thing anyway. You ever heard that, right? And I'll never forget the teacher saying, no one believes that anymore. And I went, what planet are you from? I couldn't believe I heard that. And it's like, and you know, yeah, I'm really bad. I'm going to tell you a really bad habit. The minute I hear something like that, I shut down the whole class. I didn't hear another thing that guy had to say because it was such a, a, a unnatural thing to say because all around us, that's happening all around us all the time. So I was surprised that he just shut that whole thing down and said, you can never sell that way. When we were witnessing it day in and day out, Day in and day out. But that's, that's, that's what happens um, with death by minnows. But this is a serious problem because spiritual drift is happening all the time. And how do you protect yourself from it? Right? Maybe being aware of some of these things. There's a whole, whole other list that you could... Add to this, I'm hoping that in your life group, you come up with some more of this thing, spiritualist. But my question to you is, what is it in your life right now? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what is it in your life that you believe is causing you to drift? That potentially, if the circumstances were right, if the situation was, you know, um, if something happened in your life, it would be the place where you would start losing traction in your faith with God. We've all been in that place at one time or another, right? And God desires for us to have a long-standing. That's why the Bible talks a lot about persevering to the end, because the Bible knows how easy it is for us to get in a situation, to get in a mode, to find ourselves in circumstances where we start drifting in our lives. And it no longer becomes important. And God cares more about your relationship with him and wants to keep that relationship alive. You know, I was really interested. Kobo just released uh, a number of statistics on the number of books. I, I really found this fascinating. They can gauge the number of books that have been sold, okay? And you get the charts. But what is really disturbing is the number of books that never get finished. Right? How many of us have started a book, didn't hold our interest, we spent all this money? Yeah, I wrote a book and I have that kind of thing going on all the time, right? Right? We've had that. We've had that. How many of, our, of us have started this journey of faith and gotten stalled somewhere? And once you get stalled, the slope, the other side, becomes really dangerous. Don't be an unread book to God. 
I pray you have a great time this week. Um, We'll be praying for you as well. And uh, again, ask yourself this question. Where am I starting to experience in my life spiritual drift that could affect my relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we have... um, journey together already four parts of this series and we've reflected on a story that you know in, in, in my mind is almost hard to fathom that a nation would lose its bearings especially from its founding principles It's founding faith. And yet, Lord, in in many ways, it reflects what happens in our own lives. And we've talked about it, not just from a national standpoint, a corporate standpoint, but personally, we've all known people who started down the journey of faith, but for whatever reason, drifted. Lord, I pray that uh, as this week unfolds for each and every one of us, that we would be clear about what we believe and why we believe it and what areas of our lives or or what practices we need to maybe begin that would help guard our hearts as the scripture says so Lord I pray for each one that is here today that you would make us mindful of the potential drift that could be happening in our own lives so that we can live the fulfilled life that Jesus talked about, bearing fruit, demonstrating your grace, and living with a power that people would look to and wonder what it is that allows us to live life with such effectiveness. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the difference it makes. In his name we ask it. Amen.